Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Burley. Coming up on today's programme, over the next 60 minutes, our regular contributor, uh, Juliet Lindley, is here. She's got uh, a few stories. Uh, what's on your front, your front page? On my front page, I'm going to first maybe look at Italy's newly minted plan to offload migrants on Albania. And then I'd like to look at Israel and how many people there are furious about the perceived incompetence of the man in charge of hostage negotiations. Very good. Also, uh, Christoph Munger is here. He's uh, head of the foreign desk at the Tagus Anzeiger here in Zurich. Christoph, what do you have for us? I have a story that uh, Amsterdam Sonntag broke this morning. A death shake Switzerland's alternative medicine stronghold. That is the famous canton of Appenzell. There, several, million, several women have died after treatment in a luxury alternative medicine clinic. And in the, cent- of, in, the ce- in the center of attention is a international star of the scene of the alternative medicine scene and that is clinic director Thomas Rao. Okay, we'll be hearing much more about that. Also, we're going to be getting the latest news from Bangkok from our Asia editor there, James Chambers. Our senior foreign uh, correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, will bring us his view from his patch of London. The editorial director of Zeit magazine, Christoph Amend, will be telling us what's making news in his part of the world. It's the 19th of November, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a uh, rather damp, uh, leaf-strewn Zurich. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, despite the uh, the odd and uh, somewhat inclement weather, uh, we're going to have a very sunny program because Juliet Lindley uh, is here, our regular contributor. Also, Christoph Munger uh, is here uh, running the foreign desk at the Tagus Anzeiger newspaper. And also our Fernando Augusto Pacheco uh, is standing by in London as well. But Juliet, we'll start with you. Good morning. Very nice to see you. It's been ages since I saw you. It's been forever. A couple of days. We were enjoying the opening evening at the Oxen in Kuznak. So exciting. We were, absolutely. Delicious fondue. It's our, it's our new local. How do you feel about fondue? In it's general, not my favorite food. I'm not an your Asian favorite. food person. Yes. Give me a wonton any day. Yeah, despite I, the fact that we had dinner at your house earlier in the week and it was a, it was a tortelloni like <laughs> extravaganza. It's kind of a wonton. It's, 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 it's an Italian wonton. <laughs> You're right. You heard it here first, listeners. Uh, also, uh, Fernando uh, is in London uh, for us this morning. Uh, bon dia. Good morning, Fernando. Bon dia, Tyler. How are you? And I have to say, London is also looking a little bit damp this morning. Oh, not 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 so not so great. Uh, just if we were, uh, we'll come back to the front pages uh, as well. As you heard going into the program, we were talking to our Emma Nelson, Fernando, uh, just about the 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 scene in London. Of course, uh, holidays uh, and certainly sort of holiday consumerism underway. Uh, you are, uh, yeah, I, I'd say you you have a, a very particular patch of London that is Soho. Uh, that is uh, your neighbourhood uh, has a Christmas unfolded and and arrived uh, in uh, in your patch of London. I think so. And I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic about Christmas decorations in London, Tyler. I've always been quite critical. I always thought it was a bit kind of boring, as you say, overly commercial. But I think this time, you know, especially here in Soho, I've seen some kind of more red lights. I'm a big fan of the red lights instead of the lighter colored ones. Um, And also, I have some good news about Oxford Street. Tyler, I've been so disappointed with Oxford Street in the last years, but can you believe it? The next week, I think on Thursday, they're reopening the big HMV shop. Uh, this is very special and just shows the resilience of record stores as well. So I'm interviewing uh, the CEO of HMV in the coming weeks. So, you know, there's been some interesting spots in Oxford Street, still looking quite ugly, uh, but, you know, there's some kind of uh, optimistic spots there in the in the main road here in London. I want to come back and talk about HMV and what this means, uh, certainly for not just the music industry, what it means for media and the yes. media scene in general, that you have a, a store, of course, uh, yeah, like HMV, throwing open its uh, its doors again um, as well. As I was saying at the uh, start of the program, uh, Christoph Munger is here uh, as well. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, tell, t- tell us, you, you teased us with a story at, at the top of the show. It is, uh, it's the lead story, if you were picking up uh, the, the NZZ am Sonntag, uh, of course, one of your, uh, you, I would say, your, com- your, your competitor uh, when it comes to uh, a, a German news brand uh, or German language news brand uh, of, of record here in Switzerland. Um, and it's, it's quite a striking story. You have this uh, 
I would say this almost cliche image uh, of, of someone from uh, Appenzell in full tracht, full national dress. Um, but tell us a little bit uh, about this story, which uh, I'm not saying it's rocking Switzerland, but it's, oh, it's, yeah. qu- it's, but it's quite an investigation uh, and quite a story for the newspaper to break. Absolutely. And it's actually quite amazing. Congratulations to the competitor. Appenzell <laughs> um, uh, is not only famous for, for, for all these, these, these habits they have up there. It's also famous for... Uh, for being an alternative uh, cen- a center for alternative uh, medicine. And now, according to the story, in Appenzell, uh, Außer Roden, several re- women died after treatment in a luxury alternative medicine clinic. The public prosecutor, the, uh, the police uh, are investigating an international star of the scene, and that's the director of this clinic, Thomas Rau, for involuntary manslaughter, as they say. Uh, so this is revealed uh, by research uh, carried out by the colleagues of NZ Adam Sontek, and it concerns actually two deaths that occurred within three weeks at the so-called Biomed Center Sonnenberg, that the mountain of the sun, yeah? mm. a nice name, uh, in Schwelbrunn, that's a little farmer's li- village, but it has actually a very big clinic that opened a couple of years ago only. And now, um, in one case, the, the forensic medical report accuses uh, Director Rao of serious breaches of duty that led to the death of a patient. And in another case, a hospital doctor admin- administered actually a drug that was not approved yet at the time. And the side effects of this drug uh, killed the, the patient, according to these most probable findings of uh, experts. Uh, the, of course, the defendants de- deny all allegations and criticize the expert reports. However, this case is very, very sensitive for Appenzell Ausroden because it's really an industry of uh, alternative medicine. There. Well, it, it talks about also, yes, that they're yeah. it, that they're a big employer. Of course, question marks is the is the Canton uh, investigating fast enough? They're saying that they're one of the biggest employers in a village of fifteen hundred people. They've got a, a full twenty five staff, uh, which is uh, which is which, of course, is is is, is yes, is, is some employment uh, when you've got uh, th- those numbers. But what we're also talking about here, Kostov, is also People are coming from around the world. They're saying that it is, uh, you know, if, if you if you go for a week of treatment, you're talking about uh, fees in the tens of thousands of Swiss francs. It's uh, these are obviously uh, we're talking about treatments that you can't find elsewhere in the world. Hence, also Appenzell being known as as this home for alternative uh, treatments and and medical practices. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, according to the article, uh, this this woman, uh, the, the patient that died, uh, she suffered of problems of stomach problems. She, she suffered from Headaches, and they started the uh, uh, therapy in, in 2021, and but finally, uh, it didn't came out uh, as, as they planned. Yes, and also, uh, it's, it seems like a little bit of whistleblowing here as well. Uh, when we read the story, uh, some staff members also questioning uh, what was happening. Uh, talks about a massage therapist uh, at the clinic, uh, wondering why there were there were so many uh, deaths. I want to also, Julie, I want uh, your 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 view uh, on this, but it's, it's, it's interesting. One of the uh, the stories talks about. Uh, I guess some of the, uh, what could you say, the, the attractions uh, of this, uh, vegan pillows, uh, gluten-free diets. Emma, I know you're going to have a view on this one. Um, <laughs> they said that, that, that even no feather pillows, uh, they were oh, replaced okay. with bamboo ones. Okay, uh, that's how, the how are you feeling? Is I was that imagining the vegan? like oat milk inside the well, pillows or something. But isn't this so concerning? And it's not the first time that we hear about um, clinics offering alternatives to regular treatments. I was, I was reading up a bit about the Zonenberg. They focus even on like a lot of cancer. <laughs> treatments and a lot of multiple sclerosis or uh, autoimmune diseases and a lot of people think this is perhaps their last port of call and they're desperate to try anything they're desperate to pay even the large fees and if I'm just reading a bit of the on on their website where they talk about finding and treating the cause of a tumor and they say usually therapy is aimed only at destroying or removing the tumor but we're looking at a more you know a holistic approach and building the body's strengths and it sounds great and then you wonder how many of these people have left aside just regular medicine to go along this path and it can have detrimental effects. Yeah, and it, it, this, uh, the, the investigation by the NZZ goes in, in, in depth into, of course, uh, yeah, the stages of treatments. Um, you would think that there, was, there would sort of be a bit of a pony alert uh, that would come out at the start of this. People go in, they're initially injected with vitamin C and, and ho- homeopathic remedies. 
Emma, I have to bring you in on this. If you heard uh, of someone just claiming that there's homeopathic remedies, wouldn't you want to know what's on the label? Well, uh, well yes, I think in, a, in an absolute word there. But I think uh, Juliet hit the nail on the head. When you are in that situation, then you will you will absolutely um, throw anything, including the kitchen sink, at your, at, your, at your condition. What's interesting here, though, is that just how huge this story is, because, uh, you know, we, we've, we have Christoph talking there about the fact this is this is an enormous story. Front page of the NZZ. Switzerland is a, one of the great things that Switzerland is extremely good at is, is clinics and offering those solutions and those approaches which no one else can do. And so to have this sort of, you know, to have two deaths at a clinic is, is one of those things that actually goes much, much further than the way that they are approaching you know, treatment in, in one place. Because surely Switzerland does not need nor should it want to have the spotlight shined on it in this way. No, but it also seems that there's a little bit of... Uh... Yeah, I don't want to say quackery, but maybe that is uh, you know, uh, a bit at the spin that also the the NZZ is giving. Uh, they're, they're, you know, Christoph, they're looking at this story as well, yeah. just given the cover uh, yeah. and and the way they're sort of sending up the region uh, ever so slightly. Yeah, I, I don't know if you were if you had sort of a, a buffet, Emma, of uh, of various treatments <laughs> on offer uh, at at a, at a California clinic, whether you'd be jumping on a flight to, uh, to to Zurich or not. No, exactly. I mean, well, the whole world is full of people demanding oat milk nowadays, so I think we're all going. In one, in one direction. But you, you are quite right that um, you know, it, it's interesting that the Swiss actually can sort of send this up as a, as a, as a little bit of quackery. We have no idea what's going on inside that clinic. Um, no. you know, we don't know whether it's quackery or whether it's sort of some great stuff is going on there. But it, it is one of those, it's, it's an interesting thing that the, the Swiss are able to send this up a little bit because it's, you know, is, have they been waiting to do something like this? Um, have they been, you know, keeping their eyes on one of these alternative clinics and just going, let's just keep an eye on these things. Let's Let's see if they are sort of doing what they're supposed to be doing. But um, I don't know. I mean, you've, you've done a couple of these cures. You haven't gone to a clinic, though, have you, Tyler? But, but cures? People, what are you cures. talking about? It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it sounds like I've got like a locker full of like wacky teas and things like that. No, 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 no. I think it's, it's done, just called... You've, you've been to places where they do things. That's the only way I can describe it. You've, you've, things? So you, yes, you yeah, sort of but like... Actually, they, but, not, but not here, though. I mean, I've, I've gone to clinics in Switzerland where they, they do with proper doctors... <laughs> Proper recognized degrees who fix your knees, um, so that that's not that's not so crazy. Uh, but I would say beyond the borders of Switzerland, no. I went to I went to the Buchinger in uh, in, uh, in in Marbella, which again, not much quackery there. Proper doctors, uh, they just starve you. That's all. That, that's all they do. They charge you a lot of money for it. This is what I can't uh, get over. It, they, and, they, and, they they take yeah. you there so you, to stop you from doing things which are nice. Yeah, listen, they're not, they, they don't inject you with anything uh, strange, uh, at least not that I know of. So, yeah, so that, that's, uh, that, that's the extent of, uh, of yeah, my, my, my journey into the land of, uh, of quackery. But you did say they gave you like butterfly wing ointment. Oh, really? yeah, exactly, to rub onto your temples. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. You, Emma, listen, you know that I, I'm, I'm the first one to, uh, to blow the horn oh, you... on, it, on any nonsense. <laughs> I've, see, I've seen you adopt a brisk walk, Tyler. I know exactly what that looks like turning on your heels and going not for me thank you well listen we're going to be talking to our james chambers <laughs> in bangkok shortly because he he recently visited a uh, a, a fantastic looking uh, new clinic uh, retreat escape uh in uh, in in bangkok uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat to him a little bit about that, that. fernando i want to bring you in to, just to tell us what's uh, making uh, news uh, in in the uk we've got uh, uh, sort of uh, here in the studio in, in Zurich, we're watching the BBC, we're watching uh, Laura Kunzberg's uh, show. Of course, we're doing a radio program, we're not just watching television. Um, CNN, of course, uh, is on as well. A lot of discussion about uh, Trump campaigns, uh, what's happening in uh, in Iowa uh, at the moment. Uh, but if we looked at the UK front page this morning, what's, uh, what's making headlines? Well, um, I was reading the Sunday Times, and I'm sorry, UK papers, but I'm very interested. And they've been covering very well, in fact, the Argentinian elections. I think... That's a very important election that's happening today. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's it reminds me of the latest, not the latest, but the previous one uh, election in Brazil, a very divisive one, Tyler. And I think Argentinians here are facing such an interesting choice. You have on one side, as described by the paper, Sunday Times, but also La Nación from Argentina. You have Javier Milei, this far right figure, uh, and you have the current economy minister, Sergio Massa, although. He's a centrist. I mean, he's the economy minister of a country that has 
you know, ramping inflation. I mean, it's over 100%. Uh, so, you know, I was talking to even our co- Argentinian colleagues in the office, Alex, Alejandra, they're saying this could, you know, this is one of those elections that we should really uh, keep an eye on as well. And my bet is unpredictable. It's literally 50-50 chance on whoever can win that election. And this is what they're saying. It's not that you have sort of two, two moderates uh, who are straight down the middle and you, you can't really oh, tell, no. tell them apart. I mean, they couldn't be further uh, apart uh, as well. Uh, of course, we're going to be having more on that, uh, I'm sure, on The Globalist, on the briefing uh, tomorrow um, as, uh, as, as results uh, come in. Uh, Juliet, you wanted to, to talk about, uh, well, we want to either potentially go to Israel, uh, one story that you flagged, uh, or do you, uh, do you want to stay a little bit uh, closer to home? Should we start with Albania? Because well, it's not so close to home, but let's start with Albania because it's, no. it's got it's got an Italian connection. Uh, at got least. the med vibe going on. Yeah. No, so so our premier, George, our premier, Italian prime minister Giorgia Meloni has been visiting Croatia, and uh, she was there. I mean, uh, Italy is Zagreb's biggest trading partner, but she had talks with her counterpart Andrei Plenković, mainly we would assume to plug this newly minted plan of hers to ship migrants from Lampedusa to Albania, thereby outsourcing the whole migrant problem. Problem that the government is clearly struggling with. So um, she says she wants her plan to become actually a model for cooperation between the EU and non-EU countries, Albania clearly being non-EU. And I don't know how much she's forgetting how hard Rishi Sunak has been struggling to get uh, his Rwanda refugee deal greenlighted by the judiciary. In any case, under the Albanian plan, they would create two centres that can host up to 3,000 migrants. And what it would be is they would be under Italian jurisdiction, Uh, protected and patrolled by Albanian security. And uh, many are just asking themselves uh, just... Yeah, just legally, how do you you deal with this? So what do you have, an Italian exclave in Albania, as you said, of course, under, yes, uh, Italian judicial statutes. Uh, the judges, Italian judges fly in to question the migrants while they're carrying out their, you know, the applications. A lot of questions. And skeptics are also wondering, apparently, uh, Albania is getting zero money for this. Not a dime. And um, Eddie Rama, the, the Albanian leader, is saying, well, this is in exchange for, you remember in the 90s, all the hundreds of thousands of Albanian refugees who went over to Italy. And he says, you know, Italy welcomed us with open arms. I'm not quite sure how open the arms were of Italy in those right. days. But um, a lot of questions, a lot of questions. But let's remember Meloni rose to power, threatening blockades, naval blockades against migrants and just stirring xenophobia. So, Christoph, this is a, a story which is playing out in papers, of course, all over Europe. And, and one part of this, of course, is at the core, uh, the processing and how, how are, of course, countries, particularly in the EU, but also Switzerland, dealing with waves of migration. And a big story in the south of Switzerland, uh, of course, on the Italian border uh, at, uh, at, at Mendrizio, uh, what, what is really uh, happening there where there's many more checks than there used to be. Uh, and this big question about is Schengen still working? Uh, because we hear about, of course, border checks now with Austria, there's border checks in Germany again, um, and, and not quite the free flow uh, that was, of course, promised. But I guess, obviously, perhaps for obvious reasons as well. Yeah, of course. I, I think the, the the Schengen system is really under stress now. Uh, it has been for, for years, but now with these very big waves of migrants coming uh, towards Europe, uh, we, we see the problem of the system that they that you enter one border and then you can pass through. That doesn't work anymore. I mean, Germany is closing the borders or not just closing, but uh, they they have a more uh, a system more strict there. They, they try to, to 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 take a, to break down all these uh, these waves of migrants, and uh, I mean I think this story is very interesting when it reminds us, of course, of the um, of the plan of the British to send them to Rwanda. The Danish had also a couple of I think years ago that the, the idea that they uh, w- would like to outsource the problem to to the, the Balkans as well. Uh, I'm not sure whether that works from a legal uh, point of view, and I mean the very the big question is whether whether it has an effect on the migrants in coming from Africa or from from Asia or from from wherever when they hear that oh we have to go to Albania so we stay at home I'm not so sure whether that works no and, and whether it even uh, as you said even even trickles down that far and and how fast it's going to make uh, a difference uh, for now a bit of a change of tack uh, you were talking about uh, of course uh, at the top of the program uh, you're very excited about HMV re- reopening I know it, of course I think many of our listeners will know HMV was 
something of a global chain for a while. We used to have HMVs uh, in in Canada. Uh, certainly, it was a, nat- a national chain in the UK, and it was the place that you went to get uh, your vinyl. But uh, certainly, I remember just uh, you know going and filling up you know bags of, of CDs, um, and and it was yeah you you could you couldn't say that it was. Uh, um, niche uh, now now it has become niche or will become niche oddly uh, it was it was a proper it was a proper chain of scale that you found in every mall you found on on every high street uh, but now they're they're making a comeback uh, tell us a little bit about it well and it is a remarkable comeback as well tyler because hmv in a way never died i mean i think they have a shop at the westfield uh, here in london but let's be honest if they're not in oxford street which was their flagship it felt more or less like they died. But I think the CEO, Doug Putman, I mean, I can see he's very passionate about it, but not only passionate, but he saw there's a market for it. And not only the vinyl renaissance. Tyler, I've been reading that the CD sales this year are on the rise as well. Of course, the numbers are smaller from what it used to be, but there is a market. I think fans, uh, I mean, just look at, uh, I mean, the remarkable uh, Taylor Swift, I mean, she can sell anything. Uh, but I think fans want now different types of CDs. So he's, it's going to be an interesting space. And he, I mean, it's going to be open on the 24th of November, as I said, right in the Christmas season. And I think that's also, you know, a little bit perhaps the renaissance of Oxford Street. I know there's a lot of things to be done because there was a time even earlier this year, there was only those American candy shops and some other quite ugly shops. But I think to reopen HMV, it's it's remarkable. And it's part of a world trend, um, I would say, as well, that people still want to buy uh, physical copies, uh, CD, vinyl. Perhaps they might even sell magazines. Who knows, right, Tyler? I hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, Fernando. But is, is part of this also then, uh, I guess, the thinking behind it is, is a place for, for fans to gather. I do have to ask you a side question. Are you a Taylor Swift fan or not, well, Fernando? I think we had this conversation. Sure, quick answer, I, quick I, answer. Don't be diplomatic. Just tell us yes or no. I'm not a fan, but I respect. There we go. I respect her, but not a you fan. You respect her, of course. Also very diplomatic. <laughs> but do you think that this is this is? Uh, you know, listen, whether you're doesn't matter whether you're a K-pop fan, uh, whether you're a Taylor Swift fan. Part of this as well is as having a place where people come together, and then they're you know they didn't go to the concert, but they're able to, of course, yet yeah, buy the special edition CD. They might go and uh, and buy a tote bag. They might go and get a, a poster for the bedroom. I don't know. Do people put posters up in their bedrooms anymore. I don't know. I. No, anyway, but that is that part of the thinking? So it's not okay. The core business for Nando is going to be CDs and getting uh, albums. Uh, it's it's maybe all of the the stuff that's at the periphery. It's going to be all all of that, but I don't think they will forget as well about the main products, about CDs and vinyls. Because as I said, there's been a kind of a rise in sales, and even where I live, Tyler. So I mean, London, to be fair, doesn't have any more of those mainstream kind of music shops. But here in Soho is remarkable. I mean, we have a lot of, we have Sister Ray, we have Sounds of the Universe. We still have a lot of kind of those specialist uh, music sounds. But I think London needed a, a massive space like HMV. And it'd be interesting to look out. I mean, if, if you do well, I, I wonder if they'll go back to other uh, addresses here in London. But I am so happy. When I moved to London, I mean, going to HMV was the dream. I mean, there was like three floors. There were bands playing there. Uh, I hope they kind of uh, managed to have some of that magic uh, as well, even with Taylor Swift. I don't mind. But I'm sure there'll be some Madonna products, which I'm sure I'll be purchasing, Tyler. Fernando Augusto-Pacheco in London. Have a a lovely uh, Sunday. What's uh, left of it? It's just coming up uh, to 10.30 here in Zurich, 9.30 in London. Uh, Emma Nelson uh, is back in London uh, with our news headlines. Emma. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Reuters is reporting that Israel, the US and Hamas are on the point of reaching a tentative agreement to free dozens of women and children held hostage in Gaza in exchange for a pause in fighting. The Washington Post is reporting that all parties would freeze combat operations for at least five days while an initial 50 or more hostages are released. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization has described Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City as a death zone after visiting the complex. A joint UN team led by the WHO saw evidence of shelling and gunfire and observed a mass grave at the hospital's entrance. Around 170,000 people have marched in Madrid to protest at an amnesty law which Spain's Socialist Party has created in order to win the backing of the Catalan and Basque Nationalist Party. The left-wing Socialist Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez won a parliamentary vote to form a new government on Thursday. 
Pope Francis has struck a deal with Volkswagen to supply the Vatican with a fleet of electric vehicles. The Pope will be supplied with up to 40 electric cars. The British of Rome currently drives a Ford Focus. And an elderly farmer says he won't move despite developers building one of Japan's biggest airports around him. 73-year-old Takao Shito has been growing vegetables between two runways at Tokyo's Narita Airport. Mr Shito's crops are not growing in clean, fresh air. Rather, they are regularly bathed in airline exhausts. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. I know that uh, farm well. Anyone who's, who's flown out of Narita, it's, it's amazing to sort of see that, yes, indeed, between two runways, uh, you have this uh, small plot of land, which is you know, surrounded by razor wire and cameras and everything. And this is just someone who didn't sell. And, and of course, the, uh, the the airport's authorities, no matter what they've offered him, uh, he, he's not he's not going anywhere. I mean, some, somewhere else in the world, they, you know, he, that would have been expropriated a long time ago. Um, but uh, but clearly, clearly not not the case there. And uh, there is the issue that apparently this is one of the, this is actually a really serious story. This becomes one of the sort of the, someone said this is the longest social justice campaign in Japan's history. Insofar as this this man and his family have refused to move. And like you say, the, the, the Japan, Japanese authorities have not physically tried to get him off the land. Emma, just I want to bring you in because I know when uh, Fernando was talking about HMV uh, a few minutes ago, I, I, you must have been sort of sitting on the edge of your seat. You must have an HMV story from your, your teenage years, your relationship to, to that brand. A huge smile appeared across my face the minute I heard the brand. HMV was Saturday afternoon for me. Um, there was always a trip into Manchester, into the centre of Manchester. There was a trip to Rare Records, which is where you went and sort of fertled around in the background. There was a trip to Affleck's Palace, which is where you went and got your dock boots and dodgy t-shirts and then there was always that pilgrimage to hmv and yes it was cds it was even records um and there was that that idea that you would go in and what was there and what was new and like it's this glorious thing tyler that we now so many people don't realize that in the old days you'd buy a record without knowing what was on it you would just buy it because it was by an artist or because it was um you know it was a band that you love or you would even buy it for the cover Indeed, and of course, and maybe in, in later years there was a sampling booth, but of course there was always a huge queue uh, to, uh, to to go and uh, have them either sample the CD or, or or put the album on as well. But you're right; I mean, it was incredible how many people just sort of blindly went went in. As you said, because of a great bit of art direction by Peter Saville, you, you were going to pick up that <laughs> CD or or album cover. I remember buying the Beatles' White Album, having no idea what was on it, and still haven't. I've listened to it hundreds of times, and I've still have no idea what's on it. It was one of those things that you just took it. Because it was a it was it was a strange look, but the the glorious thing of that coming back with stuff and not knowing the you just had that moment when you put the, the the needle onto the vinyl and you had no idea whether this was going to be a moment of pure gold or whether you're going to think I've just wasted my pocket money on a complete donkey. You know who would be um, really, I would say, sort of under threat or pocketbook under threat in the new HMV would be our, our Juliet Lindley because uh, she clearly likes a lot of tat because, and she also likes to coordinate herself because she's got a purple pen, she's got purple beads uh, for her phone, and she's got purple nails this morning, and she They're also knows purple. and she also knows They're purple's my my absolute purple. favorite color, as you know, um, the color. My of, first the, album was Simon Garfunkel. Was it? Did I wasn't asking that? that. I was asking about I your know, accessorization. I'm yeah, yeah. Here as we Simon Garfunkel is your first album. Yeah. You purchased there was or, no or that HMV was given to you? Rome. I purchased it. I think it was 10,000 lira. Okay. In Rome, no HMVs, God forbid, but did love them. Christoph, can you recall your first album? Yeah, and it was helped by the Beatles. Very good. Yeah, it was uh, still have it actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, I, I don't know if it's if it's going to be sort of you know heading heading uh, its way to to eBay or if it's going to be passed down. I mean, do your do your kids care about the the Help album? Not really. Yeah, they they actually. My son likes the Beatles, but uh, just they they don't they they don't listen to records. They have they Spotify, Spotify, whatever the other means. But but they listen to the Beatles. Yeah. Do your kids care about me? I mean, whenever I visit you, Julie, there's no musical on. There's nothing blasting out of the bedrooms. Mozart playing. Oh yeah, right. Bit of Bach. Yeah, Mozart of medicine from uh, from Appenzell. <laughs> we, uh, Butterfly <laughs> We're uh, we're going to head uh, to uh, Bangkok now. Our Asia editor uh, is uh, standing by. Our James Chambers. Uh, James, uh, good afternoon to Bangkok. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, I'll fess up and say my first album was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. I think everyone else is, is pretending. To you. <laughs> 
homage I, to Canada. I, I like it. I wasn't. I wasn't cool at that point. If it wasn't for my brother saving me, maybe you know who knows where it'd have gone. Are you, are you saying well, you, you got to Atlantis a little bit late or were you sort of there on the moment? You weren't, you weren't sort of lined up. And what, what, actually, what part of the world were you in, James, when you, when you made this purchase? A bit like him. I was in South Wales in Swansea going to the local HMV there. So um, that, that was my first album. Excellent. Uh, do we want to maybe start on uh, maybe, well, going, at least going to stores, going to malls, uh, because uh, the Central Group, uh, uh, of course, uh, really one of the, the titans of not just Thai retail, Asian retail, global retail now, James, uh, has been making uh, a lot of news. Uh, part of it also comes back to, to Switzerland uh, as well, where their European partners, the Signa Group, uh, have been in a lot of trouble and uh, are now having to offload their interests um, with, uh, with, with Central. And of course, they're, they're together with them with German department stores. Um, but part of the news, of course, goes to London with Selfridges. Exactly. It's another uh, Oxford Street-related story because uh, the two partners, Central and Cigna, uh, bought um, Selfridges uh, from the Westerns a couple of years ago for, I think, four or five billion uh, pounds. It was a massive deal uh, in a partnership. Um, but as you mentioned, Cigna has been having a lot of financial problems. They've been, uh, just entered some restructuring. The, the founder, Rene Benko, has been f- forced out. Um, and as a result of that, uh, the, the ties, the central group, have, have managed to kind of wrestle control, overall control. Um, so they kind of add uh, self, the Selfridges brand to a host of other uh, big, big, big European, European retail brands and department stores. So uh, they seem to be going from, from strength to strength. And I don't know what's going to happen to the, to the other Cigna assets in Europe, uh, like, uh, you know, Cardé Vey, which they also own in, uh, in partnership with Central. But I, I imagine the ties will, will, will I guess, keep on, keep on investing. Well, and in fact, I heard uh, yesterday evening uh, someone working for the group uh, here, this is on, on the central side, in fact, um, said that there was a big Thai delegation uh, through Switzerland actually in the last week because also they own the biggest department store group uh, here as well, uh, Globus. Uh, and, uh, and obviously there's, there's many questions around the financing. Um, and that was even a topic uh, when, uh, when I was in, in, in Bangkok uh, a few weeks ago as well, uh, just uh, what will happen from the financing. And will Central now move out of partnership uh, um, with, uh, with certainly, well, certainly with Cigna, um, and, and become the sole owner. Um, and this, and it's kind of, it's quite amazing when you look at the story because suddenly they have a footprint which goes from Dublin. Uh, they'll be big in Amsterdam. Obviously, they've got you know then a, a massive patch of the UK. They've got Switzerland. They've got Germany. They've got Rinascente uh, as well. We have to bring Juliet in on that. Juliet, view on Rinascente. Big yes. fan. Big fan. Big fan. Why? Well, we always used to go to the Rinascente, and you know what's the fight? Always used to, but not now. Or I don't live in Rome anymore. Well, but you're always. I mean, you're always. In when Italy. I go back, we go to the top floor, which has different food outlets and we always go to the Asian one we don't go to the Thai one okay. but I had a Dutch friend Her mom no, no Italian it. wontons for you no. <laughs> no she used to call it the Reno Center I thought that was the very Reno cute. Center yeah she was Dutch and she just couldn't say Reno Center ah, okay Cute. Rhino Center sounds like <laughs> you're going for surgery. safari. Rome okay. is a bit of a safari. <laughs> uh, James, tell us uh, what what else uh, is uh, making news. Bangkok Post or uh, or elsewhere where you uh, get your news feed from. Well, I guess in a kind of in a news story that's relevant to, to retail and consumer spending here in Thailand, um, it's almost every day uh, the Bangkok Post front page is dominated by this plan by the new government to to give away uh, ten thousand baht, which is about two hundred and fifty two hundred sixty euros, to people in, in a cash handout to try and stimulate the economy. Um, this is uh, something that the Per Thai Party put in its election manifesto. Uh, they ended up forming the new government or leading the coalition uh, and they've you know, expressed their intention to, to go through with this plan. Uh, but it seems like it's causing them all, matter of, uh, all manner of headaches and it's dominating the headlines because everyone's just coming out uh, to criticise it. Uh, I guess the point uh, that the critics are making is that um, it's fair enough to give cash handouts during times of crises. It's, it, it happened a lot around the world. You know, even the US was handing out money during COVID. Hong Kong did. Thailand did under the previous government. Uh, but they're saying now is actually, yes, the, the Thai economy isn't doing great. But in the context of the global economy, um, it's not bad. And, you know, it's, it's recovering. Uh, so there's no real emergency and there's no justification uh, to be giving out money. Um, I guess one of the big issues is that uh, the Per Thai party said that they wouldn't have to borrow money 
uh, borrow fresh money to give to give uh, th this 10,000 baht to everyone. And actually, they've gone back on that and, and have admitted that they will actually have to, to borrow to fund it. So that's proving very unpopular. It's in the news every day. And it's amazing just how many problems they're getting to, you know, trying to hand out free money to people. And James, the question marks around this, of course, is it is it because this was a campaign promise uh, that they need to come good on? Or is it more, as you said, look at uh, you said you were going to have to borrow, but you're, you, you, you have to. Um, and and I, if I recall, um, when the Pitai party was was campaigning with this, part of it wasn't that, OK, you could just, uh, you know, race off uh, to yeah any number of online platforms to spend money. A lot of the thinking was also that this was going to people who you know, and, and it would be used to really sort of stimulate really the local economy as well. They wanted people to to go down to to their village centers, to their local high streets, wherever it may be, to also, yeah, in, in a way, charge up uh, local neighborhoods uh, as as well. And I'm wondering if that's also part of the or one of the question marks around this uh, as as well uh, that uh, you know you can't really focus where this money is going going to go. That's right. I mean, the the prime minister said that Tavison, he's he's got smart ideas. Um, it's just it proves challenging to implement them. So with this cash handout is actually unfair to call it a cash handout. It's a what they're calling a digital wallet. So to get it, you have to essentially uh, download an app. So it's the it's the party that is per time the prime minister's way of nudging uh, Thai people forward and trying to get them to adopt, uh, you know, digital everything. Um, so there's, there is uh, some benefits to it and there are reasons why they're doing it. And the original idea was that you had to spend the 10,000 baht within kind of four kilometers of your, your household or where you live. Um, but over time, all of those things have been watered down. I think they've realized it's impossible to, to try and police that. Um, so now I think it's it's put more open. You can spend it anywhere. They've had to refine who they're going to give it to because there was a bit of an uh, you know outrage about the you know the richest ties getting this handout as well as the as the poorest. So that's been trimmed slightly, and and it'll be given out to 50 million people now. But I guess I guess the the overall point is when it was announced right at the beginning, uh, there was you know there was some there was some merit to it. There was it was potentially a smart idea, uh, but the more the longer it goes on. Uh, the more it just looks like a populist policy trying to, to, to buy people's favor. Uh, and the problem they're having now is that everyone's kind of priced this in. Everyone's assumed they're getting it anyway. Uh, and it might, it might turn out that the constitutional court uh, determines that it's not legal uh, and they won't be able to hand it out. So um, I, I think this is going to go on and on uh, and it's going to become a bigger and bigger problem uh, for the government. Uh, just, uh, James, I think we need to put Juliet on the spot. Juliet, if you had, if you got 250 to 260 euro Swiss francs right now, you had to spend it within four kilometers of your house. Where would you spend it? Globus. You, I don't, is there a Globus? With, yeah, well, there's a Globus well, within, within here, four kilometers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess it's that just. Right? That's a lot of food you'd buy for two. For, for 250, that's not Probably a lot. Probably not, 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 not in Zurich. Not in Zurich. That's not going to get this. Not, it's going to be half a basket, actually. <laughs> I've, got, I've got news for you. Christoph, if you had 250, you had to spend it within 4,000 4, meters uh, of, of your house. What, what would you spend it on? I would spend it on food as well. I mean, I live in the village. I don't live in the in the city of Zurich. And so. Okay, so you can so you can support your local economy. Yeah, I really could do that. There's a very good bunch there. And, uh, uh, Where would you go? Migros? Or the... No, no, he's, no, he's, no, no going, good, he's going small, locally. Small, said. small uh -oh, bakery. You're, great bakery. There's a little Migros. You no. can, you can yeah. buy bakery. nice cakes. What uh, kind of cake? With fruit, something with fruit, fruit. not chocolate. Fruit. <laughs> something with, and, and there's a good patch there with, with, with good great, great, great meat. Uh, you can buy that. And you, then there you can spend uh, 250 euros or whatever. And you get a full basket. No, oh, one roast chicken. Yeah. Quite, quite. James, okay, listen, if you were eligible for this, you're not a Thai citizen. I imagine it's only open to Thai citizens. What would you spend your uh, 10,000 baht on? Oh, yes, I knew this was coming. Of course um, you did. <laughs> don't, don't sound surprised. <laughs> An another another Alanis Morissette LP, I think. Um, you, you could probably I, go I down to Chattachak Market or somewhere like that and uh, and probably find that. I'm not that sure if that's within four kilometers of where you live. But anyway. It, it, it is, actually. It's, it's about two kilometers away, and it probably costs more now than it did back then. That's true, actually. I know and, uh, poor Emma Nelson back in London. She wants to participate as well. Emma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what this is, what, 250... Euros, what is that, about 220 pounds right now? Yeah, so... It goes reasonably far. That will actually yeah. do my weekly shop. No, my fortnightly shop. That will oh, do come it. Yeah. on. Two weeks of shopping for 220... Two, two weeks of shopping in I... one supermarket or okay. about 10 minutes of shopping if I go to Waitrose. 
Exactly. Right. We have we have we have rather extreme price differentiations in here here in the United Kingdom now. But even to get those prices to do two weeks of shopping, mm. is it really within 4K? It sounds like you have to sort of drive beyond Heathrow. Well, London's, no, no, you can do it now because the, the discounters are going bananas in the middle of London now. So you okay. can walk 10 minutes and you have an Aldi or a little now. And and they're really, really, really taking the big supermarkets on. It's it's. I think in the last year it's got sort of almost as, as if it's a not necessarily a badge of honour, but it is something that people now consider very seriously. And the And the more... The, the kind of supermarkets, dare I say, that you really want to go to, the Waitroses and the Marks and Spencers are having to fight very, very hard for your pound now. Uh, James, uh, standing by, still in, in Bangkok, uh, maybe should we just head north to uh, to Taiwan? Uh, because, of course, we were talking about runoffs uh, in, in Argentina, uh, but also it's, uh, it's election week uh, also uh, in Taiwan as well. Yeah, well, I guess one of the big takeaways from this region, from APEC, was... Uh, was President Xi Jinping saying or denying any plans to invade Taiwan by 2027. So that comes as a, as a big relief. Uh, and so now there's no imminent war in, in this part of the world. I think everyone's going to be focusing on the elections in, in Taiwan in January. Uh, and this week is going to be a big week for, for candidates to put forward their, their names. Um, the, the incumbents, uh, the, the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, their guy, William Lai, he's by far the biggest favourite. He, you know, he's got 30% plus in the opinion polls. Uh, and the opposition uh, have all been a bit splintered because there's three big names uh, in the offing. Uh, and so those two of those big names, uh, the KMT's candidate, uh, Mayor Ho of New Taipei, and the former Taipei mayor, Mayor Kerr, they came to an agreement on Wednesday that they would basically uh, combine their two tickets uh, and they would decide via... Uh, opinion polls who would be uh, leading the ticket and who would be the vice presidential candidate. Now, that was meant to be decided on Saturday, but when the results came in, uh, there was a dispute uh, about the methodology. uh, And so we're still going to wait this week to see uh, if they can agree who's going to be uh, the the, the presidential candidate and who's going to be VP. Now, if they can get, get, if they can decide, then they they might actually then be a bit of a competition come January. Because if they can't decide, the DPP are going to win again uh, and they'll be in power for another four years. James Chambers, uh, I look forward to seeing you in Tokyo next week because uh, I believe you're going to be descending uh, on the Japanese capital for uh, a little monocle Christmas event that we're having in Tomigaya. Yes, I was just wondering whether we're going to be eating those vegetables from the, the our Narita friend. I, I think I think that we'll have we will have a supply from Chiba, um, but uh, <laughs> I, it's, it, there's not they're not going to be uh, from uh, between uh, the runways uh, at Narita. <laughs> yeah. uh, James, see you uh, in uh, Tokyo next week. James Chambers, our Bangkok uh, editor, uh, South Asia editor, uh, as well. It's just gone to ten forty eight, almost ten forty nine uh, here in Zurich. We're heading to Berlin in a moment, but I have to say that uh, we uh, Juliet is uh, has has been giggling. Everyone's been giggling around. The table because we're heading to speak to uh, to Christoph Amann, the editorial director uh, of of Die Zeit. And uh, what, what were you giggling about? I have the, no the, idea the, what the, you're referring the, to. The, the, the cover of the where, where is the cover of, of this week's edition? She been ha- censored. She, 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 ha- she had to hide it. This, this would this would never ever uh, make it. This well, I, I, I can actually Imagine. I can say that uh, this is a copy. It's not getting off any Lufthansa flight um, <laughs> if it was landing uh, anywhere in the Middle East or many other countries. So I'm going to actually set you up, Christoph Amann, editorial director. Director Guten Morgen in Berlin. Uh, tell us about this cover. It says, Na dann wollen wir mal. <laughs> Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, everyone. I was just uh, trying to remember my first album that I bought um, when I was a teenager. Because so I was, changed I was the subject a, as well. <laughs> well, whenever, whenever, whenever I was in England, I went to H and B, and I think the first one was Disco by the Pet Shop Boys. Uh, but anyway, um, well, it's uh, the, the cover story of the magazine this week uh, is an interview with Dan Savage, who's America's most popular sex columnist. And uh, he's talking about sort of the intimate life of Americans. And my favorite uh, story from that cover interview is um, the, the story that he tells from the early 90s from Mattel, when Mattel apparently um, uh, launched a, a Ken version which was apparently very gay and became so popular that gays started buying uh, the puppet like uh, millions of times. And then, then Dan Savage called Mattel, the company, and asked them about you know, the idea and why, why this can. And then apparently they weren't aware of it and they stopped selling it. But still, it's up until this day, it's the most popular can puppet they ever 
put out on the market. This is one of these stories, which is uh, Zeit Magazine uh, doing what it does incredibly well, which is bringing together, of course, a, a topic which fascinates many, but also marrying it with extraordinary art direction. Because, uh, you know, in a way, sort of, well, maybe not everyone is 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 a winner on on this cover, but it's a double cover. Uh, you yeah. have uh, you have um, uh, you have a sort of a rather hirsute man. Uh, in uh, stars and stripes underpants, uh, there's a woman in bed. There is, um, yeah, a, an appendage in in between his legs, um, but it's all rendered in filts. It's all done in felt, uh, so it looks like it was, uh, you know, it, it was done at, at a at a kindergarten, um, maybe on a Tuesday morning. Uh, and then there's sort of, you know, there's a similar sort of a between the legs exploration going on um, in, in in the other direction um, as as well. This is, how, do you know how many story meetings uh, went into this? Is this the art director? your creative director, uh, you know, having a really singular idea, because I think just from an art direction point of view, it's, it's fascinating and, and potentially award-winning. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's a great team of uh, creative director, Mirko Borsche, um, who's, who's based in Munich, and our art director, Yasmin Müller-Stoy and her team in Berlin, and they keep coming up with these crazy ideas that surprises everyone in the team uh, and our readers. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great team. They, they, they work on these kind of covers for weeks and months, and then it's just out for a week and we enjoy it. Uh, tell us, uh, maybe, uh, uh, well, of course, uh, I've got a copy of uh, one of your, your spin-offs from your stable. It's Zeit Magazine's uh, Wochenmarkt. Uh, this is your, is it now twice a year or three times a year? This is your food special. Yeah, it, it comes out twice a year uh, on the newsstand. So it's a spin-off magazine making a, a life uh, of its own. And it has now become a little magazine group within the magazine group because we're, we've launched a podcast. We're uh, inviting our readers to join us for uh, uh, the first food trips next year. The first one will be in Portugal. And um, yeah, it's the, the, the new one. I, I started writing a column about my, my favorite restaurants and cafes for Wochenmark magazine because readers kept emailing me and sending me a message, oh, I'm, I'm going to Vienna next week. Can you give me an idea of where to go to? So I started this column. Uh, it's called Weg und Hin, so away and uh, enjoy it there. And um, uh, in, in, this, in this issue, I write about my favorite restaurant in Los Angeles called Pizza Palace. Uh, it looks like an American sports bar, but um, the, the owner and the chef um, uh, is is Avish um, Naran? Uh, he comes from an Indian family, and what he does is he spices up American and Italian classics like pasta and pizza and chicken wings with his the spices that he grew up uh, in in his kitchen and uh, the kitchen of his family of his grandmother and mother cooking. So it's an amazing experience. But I also write about a, um, my favorite restaurant in Berlin. Um, it's called Ember, and the owner is actually from a city in the south of Germany, Mannheim, near Frankfurt. And um, he uh, he has sort of um, established a dessert that has been invented in Germany by an Italian ice cream maker 50 years ago. It's it's spaghetti ice cream. Have you ever tried it? And I have never. But you're not talking like a about a, like a, a vermicelli. This, this no, 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 like exactly. a, like a, no. No, it's quite funny. It's like it looks like spaghetti but it's actually made from vanilla ice cream. And so this Italian guy 50 years ago in, my, in the city of Mannheim came up with the idea of, of uh, turning a spaghetti into an ice cream dessert dish. And it's really popular. I think it's totally unknown outside of Germany, but Germans really love it, spaghetti ice cream. Okay, I think Juliet Scott is going to have something to say about this. Juliet, over, over, over to you. <laughs> but it is the vermicelli concept. It's not like made of wheat, is it? It's literally in no, the no, form of... No, no, it's ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Squished it's, it's, out it's, of a thingy, a machine thingy that makes it look... Machine. See, Christoph exactly. has the machine. Yeah, Christoph, Christoph spent his 250 <laughs> yeah, francs on getting the... Because I think every household in Switzerland has a vermicelli machine, oh, sure, don't they? Sure, yeah. See? Yeah, sure, yes. Yes. Okay, you know it's heading your way, uh, Christoph, for Christmas. <laughs> Maybe and you we can have, can, we can have your own Zeit magazine uh, spaghetti <laughs> ice cream pop-up. Can I tell you, my favorite story in the issue um, is uh, is the Die, die Schatzkiste. Um, and uh, oh, and yeah. this is... it's uh, Okay. 
okay, it, it's, it's in part, it's a recipe story, but it, it's, it's a great media story. And this is, it is a piece, uh, and, and I think we can think back to so many relatives all over the world who had you know, a little box, uh, which was, which was you know, full of recipes. Uh, and, and you could pull out the recipe cards and it was you know, divided into geographical regions and, and cuisines or how, you know, was it sort of, you know, going to be a one pot dinner, whatever it is. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful sort of trip down memory lane. And I'm wondering, Christoph, is that even foreshadowing that could there be a Wochenmarkt, Schatzkiste, maybe in, the, in development? Uh, Tyler, can I just steal that idea from you right away? Right away. I listen. I mean, if you can get it ready in time for Christmas, maybe our James Chambers can find someone in in, uh, in Thailand who can manufacture it for. You. But uh, okay. I, I, the, uh, well, whose idea was it? Uh, because it's uh, it's it's just it's wonderful. Well, it's the the executive editor of the uh, of Bochenmark magazine, Anna Kemper, who came up with the uh, idea of of, um, of of doing a story about this box and and the recipes and. I think it's great to look back at, uh, you know, old cooking books from the 70s and 80s, just to remember how how people would eat and how people would enjoy, um, you know, cooking at the time. And I think especially the 70s and 80s were a time of, of you know, putting out games and, and, and gamifying a lot of things. I remember there was a, an American American uh, game called Smellery. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it was... It was like it was memory, so it was based on the concept of memory, but it was all about smelling um, different scents. So you could learn um, about the different senses um, just by playing a memory game. So I, I'm I'm really into that. So I, I'm I'm really I'm really curious if we can turn the Schatzkiste into a new business model for Zeit. I think Juliet's also into yeah. interested in the your smellery. your smell the smellery. <laughs> she wants to know if we scratch and sniff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. But also in your in your shots, kiss, I'm seeing so one of the recipes is for a hackfleisch pizza. Like that's a yeah, pizza well, with bolognese sauce. That's in it. Oh, yeah, like what? Yes, that's. Listen, are you yeah. also offended by that as well? Like, of course, the, like the pasta with cauliflower. No one puts cauliflower or carrots on their pasta. In Italy. Christoph, come on, nor pineapple. Well, you're agreeing with this? No cauliflower Always with pasta. No, 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 no bolognese on, 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 on pizza. pizza. Oh goodness, there's a tough audience down what? here in Zurich, isn't it, Christoph? It's a jury. The jury's out there. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Okay. Before we go, uh, in uh, in 20 seconds or less, tell us uh, what, what can you just tease us for the year ahead or Christmas? Anything interesting coming? out from the stable that we have to be uh, keeping an eye out for on the newsstand? Uh, well, the, the, we're working on a very uh, a special um, Christmas edition about the, uh, being, a, being, let's say, being great parents in times of Christmas. <sighs> One for you, Juliet. There we go. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. And that's going to be obviously just on, you know, what, in the next three weeks, four weeks? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, You need time, yeah. You need time uh, to prepare. December. You can't become a good parent just on Christmas Eve, right? Maybe you can. It takes time. It takes it time. It does. <laughs> Christoph Amen. <laughs> very, very good to chat. Hopefully we see you somewhere uh, before Christmas. We have our Weihnachtsmarkt coming up, second, third in Zurich. Hopefully we see you, or maybe in London. Okay, I'll catch the train to Zurich. Wonderful. Christoph Ahmed, editorial director of Zeit Magazine. That's all the time we have uh, for today. Uh, Juliet Lindley, uh, Christoph Munger for the Tagus, Anzager, thank you very much. Fernando Augusto Pacheco back in London. Emma Nelson also in London. And also James Chambers and, uh, in Bangkok and Christoph Ahmed up in uh, Berlin. Our producers were Desiree Bandley today and also Emma Nelson back in London. And the sound for this show was looked after by Callum McLean. I'll be joining you from Okinawa next week. Goodbye.